the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Five crimes that were cracked through unexpected pieces of evidence. The goal of any criminal investigation is to find out the ones responsible. However, there are times when the story of how the crime gets cracked and the circumstances that led to it appear to be more interesting than the outcome itself. From pieces of plastic, a tree, to even a Muppet costume, here are five crimes that were cracked through unexpected pieces of evidence. Number 5. Yellow Sock For almost 30 years, the death of Denise Kolb remained a mystery, and had it not been for an unlikely piece of clothing, the case would have been completely forgotten. On November 12, 1991, Kolb, a woman from Philadelphia, was found dead. Her body was discovered in an advanced decomposition state in a remote wooded area off of Harvey Road in Birmingham Township in Delaware County. Responding, Pennsylvania State Troopers found the deceased clad with a sweater underneath two pairs of pants, a t-shirt, and a jacket. It also baffled them to see one pale yellow sock on top of the body. Delaware County investigators clearly ruled her death as a homicide. Then, three days later, on November 15th, Authorities reported having found the other matching sock to the one that was found at the crime scene in the apartment of a man named Theodore Donahue. Ted and the victim were closely acquainted. In October of that same year, Kolb had moved into Donahue's place in the Wissahickon section of Philadelphia and then, just two weeks later, moved out. Donahue had actually been among the first individuals questioned regarding the case. He initially told investigators that he and the woman were together on October 18th when they went out to buy drugs. The man also said that they were robbed at knife point, and at this point, the woman ran to get help and never returned. According to him, that was the last time that he saw Kolb. His story fell into the cracks when it was contradicted, though, with what her family knew. A sister of the deceased said that on October 19th, she actually saw the two fighting outside of the bar where Kolb worked. Detectives really had all the reasons to suspect Donahue as the culprit in the crime. 
Friends who bore witness against the man told police how he had clearly and vividly described the crime scene to them. It was like he was there when it had happened, but the lack of hard evidence forced them to let him off the hook. Decades went by and still the police couldn't make one arrest. But then came 2015 when the Criminal Investigation Assessment Unit decided to reopen the case. This time, authorities utilized new photo-enhancing technology to re-examine the pieces of evidence in the case, and this included the socks. Investigators were then able to determine the connection between the two pieces. They found out that they were actually from the same pair, and as a result, Donahue was linked back to the case, this time as a lead suspect. In September of 2019, the man, who was then 52 years old, was arrested and charged with murder, abuse of a corpse, and tampering with evidence, among other charges. A judge ordered him to face trial, but before he could do so, the alleged killer died in November of 2020 while in detention. The cause of his death is yet to be determined. Meanwhile, Philadelphia's district attorney's office said that they will no longer proceed with the case and that it will be marked in the public records as closed but without a conviction. It's probably frustrating for the victim's family and friends to find out that the man won't need to face the wrath of justice. Perhaps the only consolation they had was that the truth did finally come out. Number 4. Big Bird Costume A girl named Melissa Brannon was enjoying a Christmas party back in 1989. It was supposed to be a season of merriment, but a person with malicious intent ruined it for her and her family. On the night of December 3rd, 1989, Melissa and her mother, Tammy Brannon, were about to go home from a party they were attending at their Fairfax County apartment complex in Lorton, Virginia. But as they were leaving, the five-year-old begged to go back in to grab some chips, and the child never came back. Terrified, Tammy immediately alerted everyone. A search party scoured the area, but found no trace of the girl. The responding police later suspected foul play, prompting an immediate investigation. They found out that the complex's groundskeeper, Caleb Hughes, also disappeared around the same time that Melissa vanished. So, he was immediately tagged as a suspect in the disappearance. The next morning, as investigators came to question the man, they discovered that he had already washed all the clothes he had worn the previous night. However, they managed to recover some samples of blood, hair, and fiber from his car. What really grabbed their attention were the fibers found in the passenger seat. Apparently, the missing girl had been wearing a Big Bird costume at the party. After obtaining an identical dress, investigators compared its fibers with those found in Hughes' car, and a match was found. Detectives then surmised that the victim may have been in the suspect's car at some point during the evening of December 3, 1989. With this in hand, Fairfax police arrested and charged Hughes with kidnapping as a prelude to committing sexual assault. 
Since authorities couldn't prove the allegations that the perpetrator had killed Melissa, he couldn't be charged with murder. He was, however, found guilty of abduction in March of 1991 and then sentenced to 50 years in prison. Though many would think that this would be the end of it, Melissa's case is still considered an unsolved homicide. This is because, even to this day, she or her body has not been found. Authorities and the child's family remain hopeful that the girl with the big bird costume will one day return or, at the very least, be found. Number 3. Bike Paint Murder is truly horrible, yet it's even more terrible when the victims are children. Vicki Hoskinson was just eight years old when she left her home in Tucson, Arizona on September 17, 1984. She had previously asked permission from her mother, Debbie, to ride her pink bike to the nearby mailbox. It was her aunt's birthday and she wanted to send her a birthday card. Considering the short distance of the mailbox from their house, Debbie thought that the girl would be back immediately. But after a half hour had passed, the parent became worried when Vicky still hadn't returned. Then, they later found her pink bike, abandoned on the side of the road near her school. It so happened that a local gym teacher of that same school noticed a suspicious-looking sports car parked near the place and he opted to take down the license plate number. Then, during the subsequent investigation, police managed to get a hold of that information. They traced the number back to a certain Frank Atwood. Atwood, who was a 28-year-old pedophile from California, had been convicted and had served time for kidnapping and sexually assaulting an 8-year-old boy, and he was on parole at that time and had been living with his parents. Around the same time that the investigation was happening, the man had already fled to Texas. After being tipped off, agents from the FBI's Texas Bureau found and immediately detained Atwood. They also took hold of the car, which they searched for evidence. Though they failed to find any physical evidence from that vehicle that could be linked to the child's person, they discovered a prominent dent in his bumper. This was enough to get the investigation going. With the help of reconstruction experts, authorities were able to match the shape of the kid's bike pedal to that of the dent in the car. They also found matching pink-colored paint on that damaged bumper with the color of Vicky's bike. Upon cross-checking, experts confirmed that the traces of nickel plating found on the bike came from the car. With no other reason to doubt, Pima County Sheriff's Office then arrested and charged Atwood with kidnapping. After seven months, on April 12, 1985, Vicky's remains were then discovered in the Tucson Desert, about 20 miles from where the bike had been discovered. In effect, the kidnapper was indicted and later found guilty of first-degree murder. He was then sentenced to death on May 8, 1987, and is now awaiting execution. Throughout the time that he was imprisoned, Atwood managed to lead a seemingly normal life wherein he got married, 
baptized in a Christian church and obtained a couple of master's degrees. Regardless, though, the people of Tucson have been looking forward to the day when the convicted child killer finally gets the punishment that he has so long deserved. Number 2. Tiny Piece of Plastic In drama and literature, we have what we called deus ex machina, God in a machine. This is when an unexpected power or event takes place to save a character in a seemingly hopeless situation. The same is true in life. Had it not been for divine intervention, the following case would remain a mystery. In the early morning of August 2000, Tracy Tomko, a financial analyst from Cleveland, Ohio, went out for her usual daily run. This turned out to be her last, as she was never again seen alive. An investigation was conducted, and during the search they found the woman's body, abandoned and drowned in a puddle. Police believed she had been dragged to that side of the road after being hit by a car. Evidence was found on the scene, such as shards of glass and a little piece of plastic the size of a quarter. But aside from this, there was nothing that could help authorities to identify the culprit in the tragic incident. For almost a year, detectives from Akron PD tried to figure out how Tomko was killed. If there was anything that came out from their investigation, it was the initial finding indicating that the car was a 1990s Ford Tempo. Just hours after this new information was disseminated throughout the force, a traffic policeman happened to come across a Ford Tempo with a missing piece of plastic. The curious officer pulled the vehicle aside and questioned the driver. The suspect said that he went out of the state to get his windshield replaced after it had gotten broken, and it happened on the same date that Tomko was run over. The man later to be identified as Ralph Blackwood, was immediately arrested. The 38-year-old confessed and consequently pleaded guilty to involuntary manslaughter, tampering with evidence, and a hit-and-run driving. For this, he was given a 10-year prison sentence. Considering that this happened around the time that forensic science was still not at the advanced state it is today, what the Akron police did was truly impressive. But then, we couldn't disregard the unbelievable coincidence when they bumped right into the person responsible for the accident. Now, that's something we could think of as nothing but pure luck. Number 1. Maple Tree The thing about murder is that it's nearly impossible to convict someone if the victim's body is never found. But there's always an exception to the rule. Charlotte Grab's relationship with her husband was far from being a happily ever after. People around them knew that the two had been in a constant feud throughout their 23 years of marriage. As what their children recalled, Mr. Grab was an abusive man who was prone to fits of anger and violence. Still though, Charlotte remained faithful to him, and although they got divorced, they remarried a short time afterwards. 
Throughout this ordeal, the woman held an unwavering fear towards her spouse. During their marriage, she kept a letter in her safety deposit box saying that should anything bad happen to her, the culprit would be none other than Fred. Then in 1981, Charlotte suddenly disappeared from their home in Marshall, Illinois. As investigators went over her possessions, there they came across that letter. Fred immediately became a leading suspect in the case, and though the information from the letter seemed damning enough to indict him, it still wasn't sufficient to put him on trial. With no further proof and leads to work on them, the case went on a momentary stall. Eventually, the suspect's former girlfriend came forward to lay bare information that would help propel the case forward. In a confession, Vicki McAllister revealed that she saw her former flame strangle Charlotte and burn her body by a tree near the Wabash River. Afterwards, the killer dumped and scattered the remains throughout the river. There still was a problem, though. Considering the extent and depth of that body of water, it wouldn't be possible for investigators to gather up what was left of the victim. So once again, the police were stuck in a rut. Luckily for them, though, forensic scientists were able to come up with an idea to actually inspect the maple tree that McAllister had told them about. What they found on the tree were signs of damage caused by petroleum-based fuel. By looking at its growth rings, investigators were also able to determine the time that the burning took place, which apparently occurred around the same time that Charlotte went missing. Though small, this piece of physical evidence together with McAllister's testimony was enough to convict Fred Grab of kidnapping and murder. Two juries then ultimately sentenced him to 75 years in prison. Charlotte Graves' case is one of those instances when crimes get solved not only by elementary methods of detecting, but by contributing efforts of other scientists like botanists and soil experts. So there were five crimes that were cracked through unexpected pieces of evidence. Justice will most likely always prevail. Sometimes it comes later rather than sooner, but the important thing is that these unresolved cases will finally be given the closure that they need. Whether it's the use of new forensic technology and science or a matter of pure luck, it doesn't matter as long as the culprit is found. If you guys enjoyed this video, then please subscribe to our channel. We have new videos coming out every single week. And if you want to check out our Patreon, we have an additional super creepy video there every single week. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you soon.